This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Investec Asset Management. Value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. In South Africa, Investec Asset Management is an authorised financial services provider. One of the many reasons I'm looking forward to my next interview is because the subject matter is unfamiliar to me. I mean, I know a certain amount about China, but I know very little about rural China. In fact, the only thing I know about rural China is that rural China has been feeding the cities in terms of internal migration. With me now is Sahil Matani, who is from the Investec Investment Institute. Sahil, you must tell me about the project, which is a collaboration between you and the School of Oriental and African Studies China Institute, and it's called The Next Half Billion. Sounds fascinating. Thanks, Lindsay. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Um, exactly. The pr- project is called the Next Half Billion, and that's because China still has 560 million people living in its rural areas. That's about 40% of the population. And our starting point for our project was simply this consensus view that China's growth engines are exhausted and that growth is now just going to slow in perpetuity. The analogy you frequently hear is Japan in the 1990s. But in our view, the analogy is simply not correct. China has the urbanization ratio of Japan in the 1960s, not the 1990s. And so there are so many people in rural areas that still need to urbanize and get the services urbanites have. And we know productivity tends to double when rural dwellers urbanize. Secondly, there's a technological aspect. E-commerce is growing very strongly in rural China. So we thought that was interesting. And I think the third reason we focused on rural China was the policy push by uh, Xi Jinping's government, particularly in his second term, towards developing rural areas. So you put those three things together and you have a big subject underpinned by policy that's very positive for Chinese assets in general and consumption exposed sectors in particular which is why we were looking at it. It's always so impressive to see the way that China adapts. I mean, I hear stories about rural areas of England, for example, that don't have Wi-Fi or don't have a digital footprint, if you like, and everyone moans about it. But if China, if China wants to do something, it does it. Is there also a sort of ulterior motive, Sahil, that the cities are just becoming too congested and too polluted and they want people to stay in rural areas, the population that is? I completely sympathise with your view of rural England. I mean, I was trying to get Wi-Fi in uh, Wiltshire, and I basically had to stand on a, on a balcony to get it. <laughs> You're right about the environmental sustainability being a key part of the driver. I mean, from our work with Professor Bob Ash, who's a world-renowned expert on Chinese agriculture, we learned that there's a big policy driver in China to boost rural incomes, to improve food security, and to secure greater environmental sustainability. These are the three rural issues as Chinese policymakers tend to see them, farmers, agriculture, villages. And so there is this drive to improve environmental sustainability, and that involves solving food safety issues, making um, the hills green and gold, as, as it's often said in Chinese politics. And this also has a long history in Chinese policy thinking. There is an old Chinese saying which says, without the support of farmers, stability will be threatened. Without grain, there will be chaos. Under the Maoists, there was a slogan, agriculture is the foundation of the rural economy. So there is this big ideological baggage underpinning um, what uh, Xi Jinping's administration has called rural revitalization. 
Um, and that's that's the commitment to developing rural China. It's also, I suppose, in the background, and it may be just be coincidental, that it may sort of ameliorate the problems that have obviously reared their heads with the US-China trade wars, because it's another step towards almost self-sufficiency, if that's the right phrase. Yes, there's an, there's an element of that. But I wouldn't put that as the um, the main driver of it. I mean, I think if you look at why the, the Chinese policymakers are focusing on rural China, it's because it solves a number of Chinese economic problems simultaneously. You know, one is, as you as you mentioned, the trade dispute and food sustainability. But it's also about stimulating consumption more generally. It's about reducing inequality. It's about achieving better employment outcomes. And it's about social stability. And I'd argue those are the important reasons why policy has has pivoted. One thing that this project allowed us to do is actually take a deep dive into how Chinese government works. And it's a very sophisticated operation. Um, there's something that um, observers in China and outside have called a political meritocracy or a uh, promotion tournament system. And essentially, in China, bureaucrats rise based on how well they do uh, at each level of the bureaucracy. And somebody in the bureaucracy can actually become the head of government. Um, so there isn't this uh, divide between the bureaucracy and the political leaderships, as you see in Anglo systems. Um, and what happens is, historically, the uh, policy officials have been promoted with GDP targets. But of course, with GDP targets, you've got this um, relatively unbalanced economic growth that's focused on coastal areas and east and southern part of China. And now they've realized that they need to rebalance growth so it's more equal across China, and they need to have other targets besides just growth. And you know, hence, the targets are now about, there are targets around inequality, there are targets around environmental sustainability, and you're seeing a broadening of these uh, prosperity targets, and rural China is a beneficiary of this. Is the bedrock of this policy digital, the digitalization of the rural economy? Is, is that the, the key to it, do you suppose? Yeah, I think that's been the big surprise and the big positive about the, the rural China story. It's not entirely underpinned by government policy. So the digital economy in China has been, um, ha the growth has been phenomenal, but I'd argue that the growth in rural areas in the last few years has even been more phenomenal than expected. So between 2007 and 2017, rural internet penetration rose from 7% to 35%. We have a major longitudinal survey of over 100,000 people in rural areas, which found that 90% use mobile phones, and only 29% of households still use landline phones. So you had this increasing smartphone penetration, you had increasing transport network improvements, which we can talk about. Um, and as a result, e-commerce could bloom in rural China. And at the moment, Alibaba's sales in rural China are growing faster than its sales in urban areas. The reason road networks were important in, in the growth of e-commerce is uh, readily explainable. You need transport networks to get goods from point A to point B. But it's, it's even more important in remote areas because logistics costs in rural China could run up to five times higher relative to urban areas. So what happened was consumers in those areas were paying higher prices for a more limited range of products. And as a result of e-commerce companies being able to penetrate rural markets, 
what's happened is you've had a delayering of middlemen in these areas, and you've had an increase in quality of consumption for people who live in villages. Um, and that's been incredibly positive for, uh, for welfare and consumption in these areas. Um, so, so that's something that we, we, we came across. There are sort of ample stories of, of individuals being able to consume more and being delighted by that consumption. The other interesting aspect of the digital economy um, in rural China is that it's actually a test bed for innovation. It's not just sort of copying the urban trajectory. For example, JD.com mentioned in, in one of their earnings reports that actually consumption in rural China was more driven by mobile than it was in urban China because effectively they leapfrogged the PC stage um, even more to a greater extent than happened in urban urban areas. The other thing is JD is experimenting with drones for delivery in rural China. So it's a, it's a hotbed of innovation. There are interesting things happening there and it's growing faster than urban areas. Yes, it's got a lot of catching up to do, albeit at a relatively low base compared to the yes. urban areas. But I mean, the prospects are fantastic. And of course, it must be very enticing for investors. How do you take advantage of this, if taking advantage is the correct phrase? I think e-commerce is, is very interesting in rural China. If you look at what Alibaba is doing there, um, it's effectively a public-private partnership with local governments. When Alibaba enters a local area, it often has a person who sets up a, a regional warehouse and then their customers are often doing their sales for them in the villages themselves. So it's a very capitalite model. Um, often the local governments are providing the warehouses yes. and the computer training for their ultimate consumers to use. And so it's a sort of, Alibaba is, has become an arm of state in some of these areas. And I think that's very interesting because it suggests the growth trajectory is sustainable for for Alibaba in particular. I think the other thing that's interesting is just keeping your ears to the ground and looking at some of the new companies that are emerging. I mean, Pinduoduo uh, emerged a few years ago, and uh, most of their sales now come from rural areas. And they're catering to the rural consumer in a way that the traditional players were not. And so I think you will increasingly see new business models focused on rural consumers. And that will be the thing to watch. Fascinating stuff. You've really got your work cut out and it'll be something that'll keep you busy for a long, long time to come, I would imagine, Sahil. That was Sahil Matani, who is from the Investec Investment Institute, talking about his and other people's project called The Next Half Billion regarding rural China.